You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This episode of Earth Matters was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners tuning into the program today. This continent is home to the oldest continuous culture on the planet, who have cared for the land for generations. A treaty is yet to be signed, and the effects of colonisation are ongoing. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. It's one of Victoria's most iconic rivers, named Birrarung by the Kulin peoples, and later called the Yarra River, as many know it today. The river is a site of economic activity, a valuable natural respite for many people living in the city, and a reminder of what some of Melbourne's landscape looked like prior to colonisation. But it faces many ecological challenges, as its health is threatened by overdevelopment, pollution, and the climate crisis. From the studios of 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, I'm Jacob Gamble, and today on Earth Matters, Birrarung, Stories of the River. I think it's all part of an education process of understanding that Australia has an Aboriginal history. And on top of that, Australia continues to have an Aboriginal presence. Even within our urban spaces, we continue to have that presence. Rob Hyatt is the Manager of Education and Visitor Experience at the Koori Heritage Trust and a Gunai Kurnai Wajabolic man. Can you tell me just how significant this river is to the Kulin peoples? Yeah, sure. I think it's not just the river itself, it is country, full stop. And obviously, being on the lands of the Wurundjeri, and also the Bunurong people, there's a cultural significance in terms of the story, creation stories and everything that makes, you know, the earth relevant in terms of culture and life, history, even, the, you know, the contemporary landscape that we have now. And so I think the importance of the river is in its story that it tells, um, you know, whether that's traditional story of those peoples and the significance it continues to hold because their culture is alive, living and vibrant. And that culture stems from their traditional cultures that we can talk about, you know, pre-invasion, if you like, to the fact that it is still alive and vibrant today. So the river continues to play such an important role in their cultures. And I think if we're able to tell the story of, you know, Earth being mother, nurturing, supporting life, and then how we actually, from a cultural perspective, then give back and it's a reciprocal relationship, then I think just being able to tell that story becomes quite important. And if we talk about environment and sustainability and all those elements, it can be the physical in terms of how we do look after country in terms of whether it is cleaning up, looking after the waterways and all those elements. But I think the cultural story that holds importance to ensuring that these environments are looked after is quite important as well. Although my Aboriginality and my culture, I guess, are from other parts of the state, the natural, I guess, connection to culture of caring for country is about paying respects to country, Mm. um, that reciprocal. And so 
for me in the role that I play, walking along the Birrarung, it supports me personally in being able to express my culture, express my Aboriginality, express my identity. And that's a really important thing that walking the Birrarung gives back to me. And so if I'm to do that and take that from it, then it's important for me to give back. And if that's taking the opportunity to educate others, if it's taking the opportunity to tell the story of the river, to have our average visitor, if you like, to the Koori Heritage Trust, understand the, you know, you're on the lands of the traditional peoples of the Rundri, then that's important. And so my way of giving back then is to educate people of how we do look after country and care, because it does give so much back to me. Mm, and on telling the story of the river, are there any favourite um, stories or, or things that you like to share in particular with people um, when you're running these education tours? I think the thing that sort of resonates the most with me is what the traditional landscape was. And it's something that a lot of people almost can't even imagine. Because prior to colonisation, you know, Melbourne was a wetlands. The river was a flooding river. It had waterfalls. And it was a living, such a living, vibrant environment that couldn't be any further from what we see as the Melbourne environment today. And so I think that's my favourite thing, of being able to get people to try and just simply imagine what that landscape may have looked like. And, you know, the environment that it was from wetlands, bogs, lagoons and marshes, and then trying to explain to someone that South Bank and all those, you know, major companies and even the casino and all, everything now stands on what were. Wetlands and bogs, lagoons and marshes. Elizabeth Street was a natural creek that ran into the river. And just, I think that's my favourite bit, is trying to stir people's imagination of what that traditional environment looked like. And so I, I think that sits best with me, is hopefully sparking people's imaginations as much as anything else. Maybe for some that then starts to give an understanding of the importance of the Birrarung itself still today. And the fact that maybe we, we do need to look after it. It is the last remnants of that traditional landscape that we have through the city. The name Yarra was derived from an interaction between the local Kulin peoples and one of Victoria's earliest colonists, John Helder Wedge, in 1835. Wedge writes in his diary that the Kulin peoples pointed to the river and said Yarra Yarra. And they pointed out and said Yarra Yarra. He was like, interesting, keep that noted, cool, Yarra River. And then they kept sailing along. They stopped at, if you know where the Sea Life Aquarium is, yep. The Sea Life Aquarium, he stopped again and was like, what is the name of this river? They said Yarra Yarra. He was like, cool, noted, Yarra River, that's what it's called. Unfortunately for him though, it does loosely translate to flowing hair. So, not a great name for a river. Actually giving a cultural aspect through language is really important. Because a lot of Aboriginal and identity comes through the use of language and traditional language in particular. And what we're seeing is that revival of that language. And through that revival, we're seeing a reclaiming of identity. And so naming the river, the Birrarung is obviously a great start to give the river its true story and its true meaning back. And that's important. And like I said, if that's an educational piece for the average Melburnian, 
that they now have some understanding of the traditional culture of where they are, then we have that importance already starting through education and then starting to pick up the concepts of, you know, the cultural practice of caring for country. And I think the more anyone of any background can connect to an understanding of that culture of caring for country, then maybe we start to see broader support of actually how, you know, anyone of any background who is a part of our Melbourne area can contribute to looking after country and caring for country. That can be as simple as just picking up a piece of rubbish and you're doing something. And I think that can be really important. But obviously what City of Melbourne are doing in starting to, I guess, recapture what that traditional landscape was in what they're doing along the river, continues just to get people to understand this is, you know, a natural environment that still exists in an urban landscape. And so if we want to care for the environment, we care for the city and we care for the urban landscapes in the same way because it does still have natural resources, natural environments, the plants, the animals, simply the waterway itself, and it all carries significance and importance. So already with this you can probably tell how much history you can hear from already just one word. And that's of course something that is a lot of the time lost when we are looking at words, especially in this area. A lot of the names of streets and also cities are of men that never even stepped foot in the country. So by having Indigenous words, you really do gain a lot of knowledge of not just the history of the area, but also how it literally functions. And that's what brings us to the original name of the Yarra, which is Birarong. Birarong roughly translates to River of Mist, sometimes River of Mist and Shadows, I think it varies. But essentially that's referring to, like I was saying before, this used to be a flooding grounds. So for about six to eight months of the year, you would have been in about knee-deep water around this John Batman, though, originally wanted to call it the River Batman after him, and uh, John Pascoe Faulkner, another one of the um, sort of early uh, colonists of Melbourne, uh, referred to it as the Freshwater River um, in juxtaposition to the Maribyrnong, which is uh, saltwater, which is known as the Saltwater River. Jack Norris is a historian and archaeologist. What are some perspectives t- uh, today around name restoration? Um, so there's various... Um, so in Australia, there are many instances of names uh, being restored, um, such as in Victoria, at least, um, the Grampians are now um, Grampian slash Gaywood, so you've got a dual naming. The Gaywood is the First Nations uh, name for the for the mountain range. And um, recently also Budge Bim, um, which was previously known by the colonial name Mount Eccles, um, was restored to its Gunujamara name um, in the last few years. Um, and there's been and there has been calls um, to to uh, restore the Birarung as the, the Yarra's uh, name. Um, and so the last time that was brought up was in twenty nineteen. And the city of Melbourne said they would be open to it and would liaise with um, so the, uh, the Wurundjeri people and the, the Boonarong people um, on these things. Um, but the, the state government said, uh, no, Yarra is an icon of Melbourne um, name and uh, they had no plans to rename it. And yes, Yarra has become, uh, has adopted its own meaning and does mean to mean things to the people of Melbourne. And um, as seen then, it was quite a contested issue. And, and when this is brought up again, which no doubt it will be, it'll probably be another contested issue with, ver- with people having attachments to uh, names such as Yarra and then also um, 
wanting to restore its actual proper name, which is Birurung. What relationship did colonisers have with the river and how has it changed over time um, since settlement? Okay, so so when they first uh, showed up, um, the, the river, Yarrow, Birurung, um, it allowed Melbourne to be where it was. The falls uh, separated the salt and brackish water from the fresh water. And so that allowed for the city of Melbourne to, to appear where it was on the northern bank there. If, it, if the falls were not there, it would have to have been up uh, near Collingwood up at Dites Falls, which is too far from the from you know the the bay for for ships to come in, so Melbourne would not have been there without the Yarra, um, but also their relationship. It originally started off as uh, a a transport uh, transport hub, allowing ships to to come to the new the new uh, frontier settlement, but also our fresh water. Um, it provided them with fresh water, but soon. Uh, as with many uh, things that Europeans do, uh, the river became immensely polluted. They started using it for industries. So industries would spring up um, a lot at up at Collingwood around Dites Falls. Um, there's a famous flour mill there. Um, and sheep, sheep washing uh, works became there, soap, soap works, uh, tanneries, uh, tallow factories to make candles, and also that also such industries also were um, along the Maribyrnong at Footscray there and sort of the lower reaches of um, the Yarra on the south bank. And so a lot of these industries uh, turned the Yarra putrid. That was historian and archaeologist Jack Norris speaking on the history of the Birrarong, also known as the Yarra River. This is Earth Matters, bringing you news of the changing environment and the resulting hits to social justice. I'm Jacob Gamble, and now back to Jack Norris. So at many times of the year, there was, um, when social wind flow was low, there would just be like carcasses of animals um, from the abattoirs, uh, globs of uh, tallow and animal fat from, from the soap and uh, um, candle, candle making um, industries. And there even reports in the late 19th century of drawing water up and it was sort of like a gelatine consistency and um, it was... Pretty awful. Um, M- Melbourne, after the gold rush, all the wealth that came in was known as Marvellous Melbourne, but a lot of people would call it Marvellous Melbourne because of the the shocking the cho- shocking smell and state the river was in. It was, in the 19th century, one of the most polluted rivers in the world. Um, and that continued on into until Melbourne got sewage and laws started coming in to, to try and stop industries dumping, using it as just an open sewer in the late 19th, early 20th century. Um it didn't start to improve. But even into the late 20th century, mid to late 20th century, it was still really bad. Like, um, famously, um, Prince Charles, now now the king, when he was a young prince, came up on the Royal Yacht Britannia and asked a, a, a Victorian official, is the Yarra this bad upstream like it is d- down at South Wharf here? Um, so there was that. Um, the Yarra was always used for, there's always swimming holes around where it was a bit cleaner further up. Um, it was used for sporting recreation. There was famously the Henley on the Yarra, a famous rowing event, which was really big in the early 20th, late 19th century. You've got to understand, um, which we've learnt recently with the flooding of the Maribyrnong, um, Melbournians, the Europeans there, also had a very fraught relationship with it, with flooding. Um, so it, the Yarra would often flood. Um, so the first big flood they faced was in 1839. 
um, at Christmas. There was a, f- uh, a freak uh, uh, flooding and um, it was the biggest flooding of the 19th century and the entire Yarra Delta, so from Albert Park Lake to Footscray, the entire area went underwater. Um, Melbourne was reduced to a chain of islands um, and then, so through the that was the first flood, and through the 1840s, um, it flooded six times. So mm. flooding was a serious issue. And this is what happens when you, you Melbourne is built on a, a river delta, and um, the river actually used to um, leave, enter the bay at Albert Park Lake, and it's slowly um, everywhere uh, west of Albert Park Lake, uh, the, the Yarra has 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 moved. Um, so long. So they're originally you know, uh, silted up areas, so very, very swampy areas originally. And so they would all flood um, uh, regularly. Um, to, 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 to stop that, the, the Yarra has been changed. Um, so from the mouth to Herring Island in the Turak Richmond area, the entire river is artificial. They've widened it, they've dredged it um, to prevent flooding and to make it more navigable for, for shipping. Um, so like Burnley, um, Burnley, Burnley Harbour there as well is also an old quarry that they flooded to also, you know, uh, expand the river. Um, uh, so at the beginning of the 20th century, there was a major bend uh, where the MCG is and they removed that to straighten the river to prevent flooding. And also the falls, the, the Yarra Falls were... Um, blown up with dynamite in the, by the mid-1880s to um, prevent flooding and also allow boating access further up. And there was an entire volcanic shelf uh, there of, um, along the air, so they, they took that out as well to lower the river, so to prevent flooding. But you can still see, depending on what the, the level of the water is, um, on the south bank sides of Queen Street Bridge, you can still see a part of the falls still today. Um and but also when flooding happened, especially in the eighteen forties and late eighteen thirties, um, you get a lot of accounts that the Coolan peoples predicted the floods and disappeared. And everyone's like, "Oh, where they've gone?" And then, lo and behold, Melbourne would flood. European colonization has left a legacy of pollution and environmental neglect for the river. The latest State of the Yarra report rated the Yarra's health as poor in 18 out of 25 environmental health indicators. In more recent history, the Victorian government has made efforts to co-govern with the Wurundjeri people, passing the Yarra River Protection Willibgin Birurungmurran Act in 2017. Wurundjeri elders were invited to address the Victorian parliament as the bill was introduced. In our language, Woiwurrung, this bill is called Willop Gin Birrung Marong, which means keep the Birrung alive. It's the first legislation in Australia to be co-titled in Aboriginal language, and it includes a preamble in Wurundjeri Woiwurrung language. The Act set up a long-term vision to protect the river, including the establishment of a new body, the Birrung Council. How important is this river both ecologically to the surrounding environment but also to human health? It's so important. People might not realise, but we get 70% of our drinking water from the Yarra, from the Birrarung in the upper catchment. Charlotte Sterrett is the Yarra River Keeper, which means she's an advocate for the health and protection of the Birrarung. 
I guess I want to touch on um, the State of the Yarra report, which came out in 2018, as you would know, um, which painted quite a grim picture for the river's environmental health with 18 out of the 25 um, environmental indicators rating the environmental health as poor. So what does this say about some of the future challenges um, of managing the Yarra River? Yeah, that's right. I think until recently we've taken the river for granted if you look at um, even how Melbourne's situated, even Federation Square that wasn't built that long ago in, in 2000, the, the buildings face away from the river. So, you know, there's a symbolism there of our, our neglect of the river and now people are realising we, we can't do that and there's more focus on, on the river. In fact, the Yarra Protection Act, which came into force in, uh, in 2016, enshrines in law the river as one living integrated natural entity, which is the only river in Australia to have those protections. So I'm hoping um, that despite the 2018 state of the Yarra being uh, showing a river in decline, that we can really reverse that. It takes a long time to change these things. We know about all the species extinction in Australia. I think we have the highest species extinction in the world. So governments um, and communities, businesses, all of us need to change the way we think about nature and how we interact with it. So there's a new state of the era coming out. I'm not sure if it's 2023 or 2024, but they're starting to work on it now. And we'll be involved in that as the Yarra Riverkeeper Association. We're really concerned about the river and nature being in decline. We know that climate change, the climate crisis, is already impacting on the river, and climate change is a human-created disaster, and it's just another symptom of our neglect of nature. So in terms of the climate crisis, what we'll see is a reduction in the availability of water to the river, a decline in the health of the river if we don't do some serious action to reverse that. One of the things we're asking for is for increased um, water um, being released for the environment. So it's called environmental water. And we have an allocation at the moment of 17 gigalitres and the sustainable water strategy um, is increasing that to another, an, an additional 10, but that's not till 2032, which is too late. The, the, despite all the flooding we're seeing at the moment, the amount of water coming down the river is not enough to sustain it um, so its ecological health can improve. So there are many challenges. Urban development, we've got some good planning controls now lower down on the river, um, but we need to reduce humanity's impact on nature and the river being the significant piece of nature Um, The iconic um, uh, natural asset that we have in Melbourne needs to be much better looked after. And that's the whole river from the top all the way down to the bottom. I see. So we've talked a bit about the climate crisis and less water, urban development. What do you see as some of the other challenges uh, facing the river? Well, we've been doing some studies for the last five and a half years with the um, Port Phillip uh, Eco Centre. Um, they have a, a waterkeeper there. Well, it's the um, Port Phillip Baykeeper, actually. And we've been working with them for some time on litter and microplastics. We focused, as the Our Riverkeeper Association, on polystyrene pollution. Um, but overall, when we've done our studies, we estimate that there's 2.4 billion pieces of microplastic coming down both the Yarra, the Burrung and the Maribyrnong rivers. Um, and a lot of that's ending up in Port Phillip Bay, which uh, has a significant impact on the, um, the fish, the plants and animals. So 
if you focus on polystyrene, for example, um, we have been looking at that for at least three years and now we're working with different stakeholders from industry to government and community to come up with some solutions to that to reduce the amount of polystyrene used but to better manage it. So if you go out to any of the new housing estates, you'll probably see polystyrene being used in the uh, waffle pods which are put in the concrete slabs uh, perversely to um, reduce the amount of concrete that's used, which is good, but for every problem there's a solution and for every solution there's a problem and polystyrene would be an example of that. It's really um, a great insulator but it's impossible to get rid of um, environmentally so we want to reduce the use of that and better manage it but also see it replaced with more environmentally friendly alternatives. Um, you would probably heard about fungi and mushrooms but it's really fungi and mycelium network that can really replace some of these things wool as well as a natural solution so we're investigating that but we want better management and better controls um, for not only construction but shopping centers manufacturing and even fresh food markets where they use it beyond kind of these bureaucratic or institutional um, aims and objectives what are your personal hopes for the future of the Yarra River well I have so many but I think um, at a, a bigger level, I would really like to feel that every single person who comes to Melbourne, whether they've been here a long time or they're a recent migrant, really understands the importance of the river to Melbourne and feels connected to it in a way that they feel that they also, on a personal level, want to protect it. We've got really good protections for the river on paper, but what I'd really like to see is how that plays out in practice and that we don't rest on our laurels and we go further and further. That would mean that we would have a river that was swimmable all the way from the source to the sea. So at the moment, you can't, you're not allowed to swim from Dykes Falls down. Um, the reason for that is numerous in that there's a lot of boat traffic, but the main reason is that it's too polluted. So could you imagine Melbourne having um, a series of natural swimming pools down the river that people who live in the city could access and swim in the river? It's not impossible to think that could happen. It's happening in many cities around the world. There's a huge swimmable rivers movement. In Australia, we're very focused on our oceans and our seas for swimming. I would like to see us really connect with our rivers and the Yarra being the iconic river for Melbourne would be a fantastic example of that. And more than it being swimmable, if we to achieve a river that's swimmable, it's clean enough to be swimmable, it's going to have all these other benefits. So in some ways, you know, having a swimmable birarung is a Trojan horse for getting all these other things that are going to be beneficial for the health of the river and all its critters. But overall, for people to really love the river and really fight every day for its health and protection would be a wonderful outcome because that would be a symptom, a really good symptom of a bigger movement away from <sighs> destroying nature. You've been listening to an episode of Earth Matters produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nar, Melbourne and broadcast to the Community Radio Network. If you want to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit us on Facebook or Twitter. To listen to more Earth Matters, you can visit the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters.
I'm Jacob Gamble. See you next week.